Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Passages of Summer edition of the 7 a.m. Novelist. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Now, we know we all know how early pages are really difficult to get right uh, for a novel, memoir, essay, or short story. So this summer, we're discussing the choices that went into a range of authors' first pages in terms of scene, structure, language, etc., and how those choices might help you with your own first pages. Today, I'm very excited that we have a master of suspense, Pink Philippi Ryan. She's going to share with us the first pages of her latest novel, The House Guest, which comes out in trade paperback on August 1st. And you can probably grab the hardcover now in any bookstore you look in. Good morning, Hank. Good morning. I love that everybody is up right now. Yes, yes. <laughs> Thank great. you so much for being on the show. Hank Philippi Ryan is the USA Today bestselling author of 14 award-winning novels of suspense. National reviews have called her a master at crafting suspenseful mysteries and a superb and gifted storyteller. Her newest novel, The House Guest, received a star review from Library Journal, calling it binge-worthy. She blogs at Jungle Red Writers and Career Authors. She is a co-host at First Chapter Fund and a founder and co-host of The Back Room, and a host of A Crime Time on a Mighty Blaze. She lives in Boston with her husband, a nationally renowned civil rights and criminal defense lawyer. Her next book, One Wrong Word, comes out in February. All right, Hank, I'm going to give this over to you more. Can you give us just a basic summary of the book so that we understand what we're getting when we hear your first pages? Sure. Thank you. This sounds, this is going to be so much fun. The house guest is psychological suspense. It's a cat and mouse game. And if I had to describe it in five words, it would be greed, betrayal, divorce, female empowerment, and revenge. Greed, betrayal, divorce, female empowerment, and revenge. If I had to get those first three of those in your first pages. Yes, exactly. And I wanted you to watch for that. So good call. Um, the five things that are the five things that are five phrases about the book are a gorgeous house on Cape Cod, a devastating divorce, a surprisingly sympathetic FBI agent, a brand new best friend, and a, and an emerald necklace. So very very quickly, two smart women face off in a high stakes psychological cat and mouse game to prove their truth about a devastating betrayal. But which woman is the cat and which woman is the house, the mouse, which woman is the cat and which woman is the mouse the and house. which woman is the house guest? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's early, Michelle. What can I tell you? <laughs> oh, great. Okay. So let's hear these pages. All right. So let me quickly say before I go into these pages that here's a way for you all to kind of listen uh, because you don't necessarily have it in front of you. Here's a way to listen to this. One is think about does the movie in your mind start playing the minute these words cross your mind? Can you see this person physically? Um, what has happened to her? Can you figure out what's happened to her? We may know, but we don't know why. What what is her socioeconomic situation? What is her appearance? Are all the senses taken into account? Are there big story questions? And, and in this first chapter, there are at least three. So listen for the story questions. Listen for the save the cat moment. That is definitely here. There are no cats, but there is save the cat. See if you can get her life philosophy in here. See if there's a theme, listen for numbers and math and that kind of that kind of uh, focus in the writing. And then ask yourself, 
will you turn the page? The all important question, will you turn the page? So let me read you a little bit of The House Guest, chapter one. Alyssa swirled the icy olives in her martini, thinking about division. She stared through her chilled glass to the mirrored shelves of the multicolored bottles in front of her at the hotel bar. Division, as in divorce. Not only the physical division, hers from Bill, but what would happen after the lawyers finished? They'd already created a ledger of their lives together, then started the McAllen's financial division, which would be followed by the devastating subtraction. Bill had subtracted her from his life. That was easy math. With a lift of his chin and a slam of the front door and a squeal of Mercedes tires, she'd asked him why he was leaving her, begged to know, yearned to understand. But Bill McAllen always got what he wanted, no explanation offered or obligatory. She had done nothing wrong. Zero. That's what baffled her, terrified her. She jiggled the fragments of disappearing ice, division, the Weston House, the Osterville Cottage, the jewelry, her jewelry, the first editions, the important paintings, club membership, the silver, money. The lawyers, human calculators who cared nothing about her, would discuss and divide, and then Bill would win. Bill always won. All she'd done for the past eight years was addition. She'd added to their lives, added to their social sphere, organizing and planning as Bill's wife, fulfilling her job to make him comfortable and enviable and the image of benevolent success. She'd more than accepted it. She'd embraced it and all that came with it. And then this. I need a break, he'd told her that day. She pictured that moment now, a month ago, could almost smell him, a seductive mixture of leathery orange-green aftershave and his personal power. Bill talking down to her, literally and figuratively, wearing one of his pale blue shirts, expensive yellow tie, loose and careless, khaki pants and loafers. A break, as if his life with her, with her was a video he could casually put on pause while he did more important things. What things? The music from the speakers in each corner of the Vermilion Hotel's earnestly chic dark paneled bar floated down over her, some unrecognizable tune, all piano and promises, muffling conversations and filling the silences. A couple sat at one end of the bar, knee to knee, on vacation, on business, clandestine, impossible to tell. At the other end, a sport-coated man, Ty Askew, used one finger to fish the maraschino cherry out of his brown drink popped it into his mouth and licked his fingers before he went back to scrolling the phone in front of him. Alyssa was in the middle, alone. She drew in a deep breath of peaty scotch and lemons and strangers and elusive perfume, alone. Alyssa felt her shoulders sag, assessing the other parts of her life grouped on Bill's side of the ledger. She understood she did. It was difficult when a couple split. Social allegiances were tested, loyalties strained. She jabbed at the closest green olive with a little plastic stick. Bill had taken the friends, every single one of them. And now at the club, at the gym, at the mall, Alyssa got only pitying glances, fingertip-hidden whispers, as if they in their hothouse world of affluence and connection understood something she didn't. When she and Bill first met that night at the charity event, they both had big plans. Now only he had them. When she wasn't Bill's wife anymore, who was she? And did she have the power to change that? 
Nothing had changed for him. Bill was always jetting off to New York or Chicago or someplace exotic. She reached into the shoulder bag hanging from the curved back of her bar stool, slid her hand into a side pocket and pulled out a postcard showing palm trees like they used to see in St. Bart's. Bill, she knew it was Bill, had sent the unsigned postcards, pictures of tropical flowers and cobalt skies, simply to provide his own manipulative entertainment. Here's where you aren't. He was taunting her, distant and nasty and gloating. Here's where you will never be again. Here in Weston, where she was, she had slush. Spring in Massachusetts. Her husband, 15 years older, was off having fun. It didn't seem fair. She imagined Bill walking in and seeing her alone on a Saturday night in this well-worn stool at a suburban hotel bar, her brown roots showing, manicure failing, and courtesy of the doomed-to-divorce diet, gone almost scrawny at five pounds thinner. If Bill had caught her here, which he wouldn't, she'd picked this place because it was out of their orbit, he'd have sneered that dismissive sneer at her vodka with three, now two, olives. Alyssa Westland McCallan almost divorced at 35. May I get you another? The bartender, high cheekbones and multi-pierced ear, paused in front of her, wiping out a champagne flute with a blue striped towel. She looked at her watch, pretending. Oh no, she said. How did it get to be so late? Everyone will be expecting me. Ah, uh, the bartender held up the flute to the row of tiny lights twinkling above them. Of course, if you're sure... Alyssa watched as he checked the glass for spots, then turning away from her, slid it into place on a thin wooden rack. Bill, William Drew McAllen, where are you and with who? There could be no other reason that, but that he was prowling for wife number two. She stared at the pale place on her finger where for eight years, three months and 27 days, her wedding ring had been. A piece of jewelry the universe describes to indicate one is married happy and off-limits. There was no piece of jewelry denoting sorrow or confusion or disequilibrium or fear. Now her once welcoming house was empty, and when the nights got dark and long, it terrified her. She knew Bill was lurking, watching, waiting. Bill was present in every shadow, every noise. She hated being alone in that house, hated it. She'd rather be alone in a random bar than be by herself in that house. Maybe she'd just drive around forever. Just the check, she said to the bartender. But it's early. The voice beside her, inquiring, hesitant, startled her. She hadn't noticed anyone walking up behind her, and Alyssa was not here to find companionship or conversation. In fact, the last thing she wanted was to talk to anyone. What would she even say? Even the simplest of questions, how are you, could send her to tears. The newcomer's fingernails were bitten and nubby and her pilling sweater just the wrong shade of blue and uneven across the shoulders. She slung a raveled canvas bag over the back of her stool. Her wildly curly hairstyle had been an unfortunate decision as was her hair's artificially not quite auburn color. But that was unfairly judgmental. And the world wasn't all about Alyssa Westland McCallan. It felt like it right now, but this woman was proof it wasn't. To this newcomer, the world was about her. That was just as valid. Alyssa should at least be civil. And then it goes on a bit, and Alyssa buys the woman a drink, surprisingly to her. She hardly looked up, which gave Alyssa a chance to look at the newcomer in the expanse of mirror across from them. 
dancers, the skilled ones, can express themselves with simply a gesture or a posture, becoming a dying swan or an ill-fated fairy. Poor thing, the, woman the words came to Alyssa's mind at this woman's body language. She swiveled her stool toward the stranger, not an invitation, simply an acknowledgement of shared humanity. The music from the dining room behind them drifted in, silkier now, an encircling shimmer. You okay? Alyssa had to ask. Sure, she said. Thanks. Alyssa recognized the sorrow in her voice. Maybe defeat. Get you something, miss? Even the bartender's voice had softened. My treat, Alyssa said, surprising herself. She hadn't meant to say anything. Oh, I... The woman had turned on her stool and now looked almost grateful. Couldn't possibly. I insist. Alyssa felt her shoulders square in a glimmer of empathy. Even the background music had shifted to a major key. Optimistic. This was good. This was positive. This was progress. Maybe if she heard someone else's troubles, it would diminish her own. It couldn't make them worse. Excellent. Thank you so much. Okay. Before you read that to us, you gave us this marvelous list of what to look for. So why do you consider those things important? I know why they're important, but I want our readers to, or listeners to hear. And how do you feel you're establishing them in these first pages? Yes, it's so fascinating because I think we all know what happens when you're looking for a new book. You go to the bookstore or wherever and you find the cover and you may read the cover flap. But then what do you inevitably do? You go to the first page. Mm -hmm. And how many times have each of us um, said to ourselves after reading one sentence, mm, no, you know, this is not for me. So our blink reflex as readers, blink reflexes as readers, instantly can tell us whether the writer is writing a story about a person who we care about, whether there's a problem that needs to be solved, whether there are stakes, whether the writer is writing with confident hands, whether they know what they're doing. Um, it, we need to know. So I think that we need in those first pages to give the reader, and as I will say this a thousand times, a way for the movie in their mind to start right. unfurling. Um, I wanted to give you a picture of Alyssa alone in a bar. You see the bottles, you see the sparkling, you hear the ice, you feel that she's alone. I've described the other people around her. We know that something horrible has happened to her. She's in a state of disequilibrium, which means the point of the book is to get her power back. And that is stated. That is, that is absolutely stated. How can she get her power back? I think the reader instantly needs to care about this person. And we have all been in a situation where we've been heartbroken or had the rug pulled out from under us. And in this situation, in the beginning, I wanted you to really have empathy for Alyssa, to know what it feels like to be heartbroken. And that's a relatable thing. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that happened in writing this book was that initially I made her too angry and too sad and too whiny. And I pulled back on that in revisions because I didn't want people to say, get a life, get a grip, sister. You know, you can pull yourself together. So I wanted to make her um, adequately unhappy and believably unhappy, but not, but not someone you wouldn't want to talk to, not someone who had a lot to work out. So she's clearly getting her power back. Um, 
without really stating it, you know her socioeconomic level. You you know what she looks like. Her manicure is failing. She has brown roots. She's lost five pounds, but she's married to a powerful, manipulative, very rich person, Osterville, Weston, jewelry, the, the, the important paintings, all those kinds of things. Um, are in her life. We have a life philosophy as well. We we know her. Um, she wants to get her power back. She understands that she's not the only person who's sad. And then that save the cat moment I was talking about is in walks a stranger. And Alyssa in that moment, and this is all chapter one, this is, you know, a thousand words, five pages. Um, we understand that Alyssa realizes in that moment that uh, she's not the only person in the world. And again, as readers, and we're just talking technically about our connection as authors with readers, um, we understand that she's not necessarily self-centered, that her heart is open and her mind is open. And her philosophy is that of there are people that are more needy than she is. And possibly this is what she should be doing is helping someone else rather than whining. So, you know, it's a classic opening, you know, broad walks into a bar kind of thing. And, you know, if you look at it that way, but what is the the need for the, in a first chapter, you have to have something happen because I, you know, I'm the queen of first chapters because Hannah Mary McKinnon and I have read 340 first chapters out loud on first chapter fun. Mm -hmm. And, and I, and I, it's a masterclass in realizing what is going to make you turn the page? Because isn't that the goal? So you want the end of the first that first chapter to be, here's a person I understand. Here's a person I can envision in a time I can envision. I know when this is and where she is. I know where she is in her life. I know who she is. I know how she thinks about the world. And I want to find out what's going to happen to her. And in the end, if you notice of this chapter, she invites the, the, the stranger to tell her a story. So now we know we're not only going to get Alyssa's story, we're going to get this stranger's story. And I, and I think it's compelling the, the end of the first chapter, which is one of the most important moments in your entire book, because that the end of the first chapter is completely make or break. I think it's irresistible to readers to turn the page to find out what is this stranger's story and, and why is she there? So um, I, I, I worked on this chapter a lot. I moved, uh, I moved some setting up and I moved the description of the other people in the bar way down so we could focus on Alyssa. I didn't, I didn't want to scatter the reader's focus. So I, I gave you Alyssa. I sketched in where she was. Let the sort of movie in your mind, as I keep saying, start. We all have been in hotel bars and you can envision that. But I wanted the reader to understand what had happened to Alyssa and how her whole life had gone out of control. And I wanted you to get that right away. And then the next step was broadening the lens of the setting a little bit. We know it from the beginning, but we get a, we get a little bit more and then we get a little bit more and then we meet the stranger and the story goes on. Mm -hmm. Did you always know you wanted to start it in this bar? Well, you know, it's interesting and such a great question because I can't, I love first chapters. I love writing first chapters because often they just unfold in a way that I don't plan because I don't outline at all. And the way I, at all, and the way I started this chapter is the way I started every chapter is I can't start writing until I get the first line. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I thought and thought and thought about the first line. And when I got the first line, and I'll read it to you again, it's piled up here. Alyssa, hold on. Alyssa swirled, Alyssa swirled the icy olives in her martini, thinking about division. And I thought, okay, that's what this book is about. It's about division. And let me say to you, and I know this, I know this is the first chat, I know this is first chapter we're talking about. But one of the things that I did in the end was to end with with this. Um, Let me just find it for a second. She says, it says, Vermilion's red exit sign. It ends in the same place that it began, in the bar in Vermilion. Vermilion's red exit sign seemed to glow a special message to her, offering the route away from one life and into another. New beginnings and infinite possibilities. She thought about addition, adding friends and love and hope. So it, that math metaphor bookends the entire book. And once I wrote the beginning about division and subtraction, then it seemed inevitable to me that the end had to be about addition. And whether the reader notices that or not, um, that book ending of be- that book ending of beginning and ending gives a feeling of completion, a feeling of satisfaction. Whether you know whether, the, as I said, whether the reader really notices that technique or not. So the beginning is your whole book. The beginning is the whole book division, and at the end of the book, it's addition, and it's about the math um, and the complications of human relationships. With that as a structure. I like the instinct with which you end, even end this scene or end the chapter. You don't end the scene because the, the scene actually continues. Um, but we, you know, it's that moment of coming together. She off, she's, she's crossed a threshold. And I, I was talking um, yesterday with some other writers about the importance of characters crossing thresholds. Mm-hmm. This here is kind of a crossing of crossing an emotional threshold, but also crossing a threshold into having some sort of conversation or even possible intimacy with somebody else. So, and I think it's always important to have them cross those thresholds and, and have those thresholds hold a little bit of danger. Well, I think it's interesting because when you talk about crossing thresholds and that's a marvelous way of looking at it, yeah. what that also means is that something happens and that someone wants something, you know, we know Alyssa wants something. And the question is, Uh, in this first chapter, how far will she go to get it? And I think that that's a really important element of every first chapter. What does someone want, your main character, and how far will they go to get it? All the while, as an author, knowing that the other people in the book also want something. Mm -hmm. And how far will those people go to get it? And when those wants collide, then you have conflict. So crossing the threshold and that taking that first step is why there's a book because someone, because of something, everything happens in a book because of something that because of something, a character has made a decision to do something. And that is the entire book. That's when, that's when the dominoes of the book start falling, the causal dominoes of the book start falling. And that is why the first chapter is is so incredibly important uh, because that's when things have to start happening. That's when the dominoes start to topple, inevitably connecting dominoes that start toppling in that first chapter. And going back to first chapter fun, I can't tell you how many chapters I've, first chapters I've read where you just 
have no idea what the book is about. It's mm -hmm. just description and backstory and hello, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? Do you want some coffee? How, what's new? And some, you know, flabby backstory. And I think what it has any, is anything going to happen? Is anything going to happen? And so I think that top of mind for every writer is that something has to happen. Emotional action or physical action or the promise of action. Some One of those things has to happen. Otherwise, why is there a book? Otherwise, you know, go ahead and start on chapter two or chapter three when something does happen. You have to, you know, when I talk about the music changing and the, and the, the shimmer and the in, entwining, you know, this woman walks in and Alyssa's life is going to change. Even the music changes when she walks in things that we don't notice in real life but in retrospect oh yeah you know that's what happens and that's what i was trying to say with every single part um of the atmosphere the setting the dialogue and her and her personal philosophy mm -hmm. and you end again you end the chapter before the other woman even has the drink so we're we're actually in motion like we we feel that the bartender's handing that drink and the chapter ends right there and then we continue the scene it's it's a very smart way to cut it. Now, when we talk about the save the cat moment, there are lots of moments in save the cat. So actually the first beat, if I remember correctly, is usually setting up the theme with a particular image. But I think that's, well, in some way that is what you're talking about. But I think also what you're really talking about is how setting up what the character wants and even possibly setting up what the character needs, because you also talked about her needing to realize that there's other people out there having problems yes. besides yes. herself, yes. which I think as the book continues, is it continues to be the lesson that she needs to learn um, as the book continues. Um, so that is kind of, is that what you were talking about when well, you talked about Absolutely cat? true. Absolutely true. All of those things. And very, very specifically in the, in the Save the Cat uh, philosophy is that to telegraph to the reader here is someone you're supposed to like. Mm -hmm. uh, so that Alyssa, you know, they call it save the cat because someone in the midst of running after the bad guy stops to save the cat from getting hit by the car. Something that may be detrimental to them and to what they want. They have realized that there's a greater good, that there's a bigger good, and they are a person who recognizes and they are a person who sees that. So Alyssa, in the midst of her deep heartbroken sorrow, and we've all been there, when we think I'll never be happy again, I'll not, you know, I'm doomed, I'm going to be miserable forever. In walks a person who looks like she's worse off than Alyssa. And Alyssa, Alyssa puts aside her personal needs and wants to take care of someone else. And that is a that is a certain telegraph to readers. We like Alyssa, you like Alyssa, you would like her to be your friend, you relate to Alyssa because she is not so self-centered and selfish that she can't see need on, on someone else. And whether that's her downfall or not, we'll have to find out because it is a psychological thriller and it is, you know, Gaslight meets Thelma and Louise meets, <laughs> meets strangers on a train. But right. you always need to remember that the author might be gaslighting you too. So, and that's another thing about the first chapter that we should briefly really talk about is that our readers are so smart. My, I know my readers are so smart and they read thrillers, they read psychological suspense. So the minute you read it, the minute you read an opening line or a first chapter of this kind of novel, like The Houseguest, 
every reader is thinking, I bet it's this, I bet it's this, I bet it's him, I bet it's this Maraschino cherry guy, I bet it's the bartender, I bet it's the couple, who is it really, what's going to happen, what's going to happen, what's going to happen, is Alyssa really good, is Bill really bad, who is this stranger, everybody's trying to get ahead of me, everybody's trying to get ahead of me as a writer, so I know that, so in the first chapter, I am actively setting up expectations for the reader, expectations that I think everybody's going to think, oh yeah, she's bad. Oh yeah, he's bad. And I'm, and to me, I'm thinking, okay, you all just think that you all, you smart readers, you just think that, and then you just wait to see what's going to happen. Yeah. That's always fun. And you know, my experience of this with the word like division and of subtraction, the, the importance of that, because to me, it really feels that Alyssa is intellectualizing her, um, her sorrow, her grief really here. And so to me, I instantly thought this wasn't a good marriage. <laughs> because I felt a limit of her emotions to understand the marriage. And later she thinks she, she definitely is sad about it. She gets really lost about it. But overall, I'm like, this was not a good marriage because she think she's thinking more about the loss of the jewelry and the loss of the paintings and the loss of... You know, so that for me, I was like, mm -mm -mm. there were times in the book that I was tricked, though, a little bit or, or and I won't I try not to give much away in the book that I was like, oh, was I wrong? Was I right? You know, that sort of thing that yeah. you're just like you're talking about. Yeah, it's good. I love hearing that. I love hearing that. And remember, too, that you will hear that she does love him. She did love him and she assumed that he loved her and they had some happy times. But right now she's fearful for her future. She is not, um, she has had experiences with being superly poor and superly alone and superly adrift and with no, with nowhere to turn. So, you know, this is her, this is also her vulnerability, this, this neediness uh, and fear of not having enough food, for instance, is, is her vulnerability. As she says later in the book, it, money isn't necessarily bad. It's what people do with it that's bad. And that's part of, that's one of the philosophies of the book as well. And remember too, you know, when I talk about subtraction and division and addition, the book is about money. This book is about yeah. money. Yeah. And so that's the whole, the whole theme of the book as, as well is, is a ledger and finances and what's really going on. So that opening chapter is a way for us to get into that um, without me actually saying that. And also how the world is out of her control, isn't it? The lawyer yeah. and Bill, and Bill always wins. And this, she is facing an impossible battle here. And she tells us that in, in this opening chapter. One other thing I wanted to ask you before I begin to wrap up, um, but I just think it's it's important to think about, There's we spend a lot of time in her head in this scene. She's sitting at, she, so she's in motion. She's in a setting. The other woman comes in, things are happening, but otherwise we are in her head. We get a lot of interiority and we do get backstory in terms of her remembering the day that he told her, I need a break. So we are, we are in her head quite a lot. Now, how do you, and actually throughout the novel, I feel like there's a great deal of interiority that we're really with her as she's wrangling these questions of who does she trust? Who does she not trust? So what is your approach to interiority in that way? Well, I wanted to, a couple of things about that very quickly. First, most of my books have been multiple points of view. 
So I wanted to see if I could write a book that was only in one point of view. So this book is only Alyssa's point of view. It's absolutely linear and chronological and only in Alyssa's point of view. We only know what she knows. We only hear what she hears. We only see what she sees. And we only think what she thinks, even though we may have, even though we as readers might think, might think don't trust her, don't trust him, don't do that. We do understand why Alyssa at every moment does what she does. And I think her motivation is clear throughout vis-a-vis uh, -vis the decisions, the decisions that she makes. So in a first person point of view, in a, in a, in a, in a singular point of view, one person point of view, um, we need to be in her head because we need to understand why she's making the decisions that she's making and what her past is and how she got where she was. One of the things that I really am careful about, about that interiority is, um, you know, she, there's no sitting in the bathtub mulling things over. We yeah. are, I, I try my best to take the reader to the, to the now of then that you are, that it isn't a, it isn't backstory so much as it is, here is something that happened before and here is how it smelled and here is how it looked and here is how she felt. And, and we, so the movie of the, the movie of the backstory begins to play as well. And we can almost see that kitchen and we can almost, we see Bill so specifically yeah. towering over her literally and figuratively, we see that she's looking up at him and he's looking down on her in that careless tie, this sort of Gatsby-esque careless tie. And then she sees their lives as like, he sees, I need a break, a pause. And she's like, pause our lives and then and then we come back to the bar so um i tried very hard to make her interior scenes terrifically cinematic so right. that it's not just her thinking about stuff yeah. but yeah. being in that moment in the past that graphically and actively um elicits a response from her now and that we as readers understand her motivation completely because we've been where she's been we've been where she was we oh yeah that time that time with her mother that time with her best friend that time with bill where she met him that time with bill in the hotel room where he unzips her sequined dress and how voluptuous that moment was mm -hmm. uh, and then the we'll new sensory details wonderful yeah. everyone i'm gonna, we're gonna have to we could we keep talking about these great pictures, um, but I need to get these folks back to their writing desks. Everyone, you can find our full schedule on our Substack page at 7amnovelist.substack.com. Also, all of our episodes are available in the podcast form, and you can find those all on your favorite podcast platforms. I have one more question, though, for you, Hank. So we've talked a lot, basically in general, about the advice that you'd give to authors for their first pages. What is the most important thing, do you think, for those first pages to grab? I'm just going to take three things, Michelle, because okay. I, I can't, you know, there's no way I can do one, <laughs> yes. Two, three things. One is you can just write the first page, however you want to write it. It's fine because you can go back and when your story develops and when you understand your themes and when, when you understand the goals of your book and the conflict, then you can go back and see that stuff through the beginning. My, my first page has changed um, quite a bit after I began to understand the story. And sometimes understanding the story doesn't even happen until like seven eighths of the way through. And I think, oh, it's a story about empowerment. Okay. And you go back and make that work quickly. Um, two more things. Confusion is not suspense. Confusion is not suspense. Sometimes people, sometimes authors um, purposely make things be 
secretive and confusing and uh, you know uh, the reader doesn't really understand it and that's just going to make the reader say what I don't understand this what the heck is going on you want to elicit from your readers oh I can't wait to find out what happens not what the heck is going on and and there's a difference between that so don't withhold in that first chapter give the reader make the reader be on the train with the main character so they are living the life of the main character not trying to not trying to figure out what the heck the book is about and then finally you know your ultimate goal in chapter one is to absolutely have the compel the reader to turn the page to chapter two there has to be the moment where you think I cannot put this down and in your book that begins with the beginning and the end of chapter one if you can hook them on that you've got them fabulous okay everyone I think there's a lot that you can take to your writing process here and thank you so much again for spending time with us and for helping all of our writers out I really appreciate it My complete pleasure. And Michelle, you are brilliant. This is absolutely fabulous. Thank you for inviting me. 